get started! I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, co-editor of Octavia's Brood, writer, facilitator of Black Liberation Work, doula, auntie extraordinaire, and pleasure activist living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast on surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And this is our first live show! Oh my god! Oh, flip your hair! I want to flip your hair! Shoosh it, shoosh it. Okay. Yes, there's going to be a lot of that energy. Fluffing. Um, okay, so here's our kind of loose structure. Is it okay if I do a facilitation thing? Loose structure for what we're about to do. <laughs> we're going to like talk to each other for a little bit. Then we're going to bring up a special guest and talk to the special guest Very special. for a little bit. Then we're going to have y'all talk to each other about survival for a little bit. Um, and then at the end, there'll be time for like Q&A. So y'all will get to ask us some questions or just you know tell us how much you love us. And, or critique us, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it could happen. Um, and then we'll close out. So how's your AMC going, Adrian? <laughs> um, it's been amazing. I love the Allied Media Conference. Um, I've been, it's changed a lot. My experience with the AMC has changed a lot over the years. And so now my experience with the AMC is kind of trying to run from one place to another um, and actually get into sessions. Because now, like it used to not be that every single session was completely packed and like if you didn't get there, 30 minutes ahead of time, you were just standing outside crying. Um, and luckily, that's this is a place where my privilege does not function. You know, I'm like, if I'm late, it's still, you just late. Yeah, care. it's like, I mean, sorry, it doesn't around. matter. So, uh, <laughs> like, like yeah. still should have shown up on time. Yeah. So, um, I also, you know, this is this big, uh, one of our last episodes was the Me Too episode, and so much of the work that's been happening here has been around re responding to and ending gender and sexual-based violence, and so I've just been having my mind blown and getting a lot of, um, and, and really feeling in my gut, like, oh, God, this work is so alive, alive for me, alive in me, alive in us, and so just really grateful to be in a place where we're just talking about it really directly and openly, and then all the babies up in the AMC, it's like so popping. And I just wanna say like, there's some deep love that comes from having been in community with people so long that you've watched them become parents. And now we have this a whole generation of young people and babies that are just walking around and like being very coherent in workshops. So <laughs> it just feels like, you know, Wakanda forever. Yeah, like Tula, who has grown up in this space, was in the opening ceremony last night and is like a teenager now and like she brought her friends to yes. the AMC. <laughs> it's just like... It made me feel cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're cool again. <laughs> um, <laughs> How's your LA Media Conference going? I'm actually having the best AMC of my life. 
Do say more. I'm having the best AMC of my life. Yeah. I've been coming to the AMC since 2009, so not as long as I'm sure there are a lot of folks in the room who've been here coming much longer. Um, and my role in this space has shifted over time. You know, I um, was originally doing a lot of healing justice work in this space, coordinating the practice space, coordinating the track. Um, Ooh, and then, thank God you did that. Yeah, I mean, I actually just came from the Healing Justice Lineages panel, which was, yes, it was so incredible, very powerful, because it, it was a combination of those of us who've been doing the work in this context, those who did the work in the US social forum context, those who have been doing the work in a lot of regional, local contexts where they haven't been getting any national recognition at all just talking together about what the last 20 years have been of this work um, and where we're headed. Um, it was very powerful. Um, so one of the things that occurred to me, and so content warning about uh, massacres, um, one of the things that occurred to me that feels really different this year um, is that the last several years of the AMC, we've our community has literally been accosted, um, assaulted in an extremely violent way within a week leading up to um, the Alley Media Conference. And I realized at some point in early June that I was really like yeah. holding my body very tightly, yeah. you know, feeling kind of uh, trying to prepare myself for what it might mean to be in this space yet again, in the, in the wake yet again of some kind of mass shooting. Um, and it's not to say, obviously, there is incredible structural violence happening right now, of course, every day at all times. Um, but there's a particular way for me that having been a part of the healing justice work in this space and witnessing how we've used that to shape this community's ability to respond yeah. to those circumstances um, that has, has a very real impact on the people in this community who are healers. Yeah. Um, and so I have felt a profound relief this yeah. weekend to be able to be here and not be called in to, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and all of my sessions have just been fucking fabulous. I'm just like having a great time. Well, I want to say that we're in this room, so those who are going to be listening to this podcast sometime in the future, wherever you are, I want to tell you, paint a picture for you. So we're in this room that is a, it's like a lecture hall. Uh, the seats are in the desk. Everything's bolted down to the floor all the way up, and it's like bleacher style. And we're looking out at all these gorgeous people, super styled out, hair all amazing. The just, hair this year. Folks just really what? showed up, showed out. And this is the same space in which Autumn and Marise yesterday did uh, two sessions back to back on facilitation that were incredible, totally packed house. And then this morning, while you were doing the Healing Justice Lineages session, you were also supposed to be here, like you were two places at once in the booklet, right? So in this session was from, from the Rebel Alliance to Wakanda, and I came just to participate in that session and then got pulled in by Manju to actually be your replacement on the panel. <laughs> we finally did it! I was like, finally we're one. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> it knew it was going to happen. So, but I want to point out um, that we have two pieces of art, and we'll put the pictures on the podcast. But right behind us, Jenna Peters Golden did the Lessons from the Rebel Alliance, and it's got all these awesome like quotes on it. The dark side isn't all of us. Nature is an alliance. 
Um, Jedi is a state of being that's accessible to all of us. Ooh, access. And then Sterling Tolls did um, the Black Panther, the Black Panther. And um, well after, done. thank you, I studied <laughs> by going to the movie six times. But so, and asked everyone to come and write quotes on it. So there's a Black Panther covered in radical quotes also with us. So And these this, were made during the workshop. These were made during the workshop. So if you ever think like painting takes more time, it's like, nope, no. you, could, you could also just be, you could be fast. Anyway, so I just want to say <laughs> we're infused in, in all of that. Um, and I want to talk about this podcast. Should we talk about the podcast? Do you all want to hear about this process? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. All right. Um, oh no, it's your turn. It's my turn. All right, so what you wanna do? Okay. So, <laughs> um, so we thought that it would be great to tell you a little bit about the process of collaboration um, and longing for collaboration that led to this podcast because we've been sisters, you know, our, your whole life. Um, <laughs> Adrian, Adrian has a really interesting habit of reminding both myself. <laughs> And our other sister, April. So we have another sister, which we've talked about on the podcast, named yes. April. April Nicole Brown. So A-N-B. Um, yes. Do they know who, your middle name? Yeah, my okay. middle name is Megan. You knew yeah. that. Everybody knows um, that. It's my email address. Um, well, they all emailed you. Yeah, they all emailed me. Yeah. Um, April is 20 months older than me and three years. And a half. Three and a half years. Younger. They yes, always forget. Exactly. I'm like, a half year is a so long Adrian time. So Adrian has a very interesting practice of reminding us that there was a time before <laughs> which we did not exist. <laughs> As though we didn't know that. I just think that everyone's life is so unique. And <laughs> uh, but also, like, I had these three and a half to five lonely years waiting for y'all to come along. Um, where it's just me and those parents. And then, you know, I had to, to just bask in the glory of their attention. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but we've known each other all this time. And for a long time, um, I think probably maybe when I was in middle school is when I kind of start remembering it, that like we were writers and we were creatives and we would kind of like. like creative. Creatives. No, go ahead. Is that a thing? I don't know. I, I don't know if I like that word. Anyway, we wrote poems and we would call it, we would like find ourselves in one of our rooms, like sharing our poems out of our journal and being like, basically, I think we were both always like, you're so amazing. Like, no, no matter what was happening, like, Literally, and we, yes. I think we, I really believed it. Yes. I just was like, you are really one of the best writers I've ever met. And, and you're one of the best writers I've ever met. <laughs> Say it again for the You're one of the best writers I've ever met. So, you know, <laughs> right? So, but I, I think it's both this funny thing and it's this really tender thing. Like, I feel like both of us, if I look back at like the tendrils of queerness, the tendrils of weirdness, the tendrils of radicalness, um, all of those roots go back into those little tender sharing times. And I was like, this is who I really, really am. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show it to you. And then who are you really, really, and show it to me. So I feel like that's kind of one of the places our collaboration started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've, we've been each other's first readers always. Until now. Now we're starting to, like... <laughs> move into the space of intentionally like looking to other people to be our readers first. Yeah, just because um, 
just to have some feedback from people who might not say it's fucking perfect. Exactly. Just mm-hmm. it helps to have someone who will be like, well, you could put a comma in the sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Azadi. But we also <laughs> want to be free from punctuation too. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. We'll do a whole episode on that. Um, Should we talk about radical love? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slowly move us there. So okay. not too slowly, though. You're right. We have, we have not all the time. So obviously, you know, Adrian and I both do organizing work, um, or historically have both done yeah, I was like, no, I political don't. <laughs> organizing work. Um, that was like, you know, our entree point into movement building. Now we both do facilitation work. And in many cases, we entered the work side along each other, but on, you know, sort of parallel or intersecting or diverging pathways, but doing very similar work. So we've also um, always been in conversation inside of our political work together. And, um, and, Years ago, probably over a decade ago now, we conceived of this book project that we wanted to do called Radical Love, yeah. um, where we wanted to really explore understanding ourselves as folks who were rooted in a particular type of love practice um, and understanding that there was a direct connection between our love practice and our family of origin and the, the risk that our parents had to take in order to be together. Um, as an interracial couple in the Deep South only five years after interracial marriage was legal um, and in a context where neither family was particularly supportive of their love. That's one um, way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, disowned. Disowned, <laughs> disowned, <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, so I went back and I didn't, I don't have it with me, but I did go back and find like these early Google Docs that we had created, uh, sketches of what might be in this book project. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point it kind of slipped away while we yeah. kind of, I think maybe I got pregnant or something. Um, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Not, I'm not yeah. laughing. No, it definitely happened. Those. That's definitely what happened. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, one of the, one of our earliest sort of attempts at a collaboration that didn't yeah. quite fully you know, um, it didn't seed. Can I share this other one? So because you got pregnant um, and had babies, the best babies, like such cool babies. Um, So Autumn became uh, pregnant with Finn, um, so I think Finn and then Siobhan. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in the process of that, like I had been asked to be a doula several times and I was like, no, bloody vaginas aren't really like my thing. Now I love them. Now you love them. I just didn't know. Um, if you don't know, you should know. I'm just telling you, you should definitely find out if you don't know. I think I'm watching. So um, anyway, so babies are like, the children are like, we love them. Um, so we make that. So I don't know how to stop. So, um, but anyway. Then I did become a doula eventually, right? I was so inspired, actually, by how Autumn and Sam went about the process of pregnancy and birthing and what they learned in the process, moving from a birthing center to a home birth to a home birth out in the woods. I mean, it was, like, really exciting. So we actually did do a collaboration together, the three of us, really. I did the artwork for it, and I asked Autumn, can you tell us all the brilliant wisdom you know about pregnancy and birthing? And we made a little zine, and Sam, like, designed it for us. And uh, we'll try to find it because you should actually have access to it. It's one of those really quick and easy, like, 
basic nutrition, basic things you should know if you're going to make a child inside of your body from a radical perspective. So Mm -hmm. that was a collaboration that we did. Yeah, lots of good stuff in there around pregnant sex, which is amazing. Speaking of bloody vaginas. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so yeah, that... that So, oh, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, so okay, <laughs> those are just a few tidbit stories of, of what collaboration has looked like between us. Yes. Um, and um, somewhere in the last couple of years, yeah. I think we both, again, like Adrian and I have this ongoing kind of experience in our lives of, oh, we're both really thinking politically about Octavia Butler. Oh, we're both really thinking about facilitation in this particular way. And and somewhere in the last couple of years, we had this realization, mutual realization that we were both wanting to do a podcast. Um, I I remember that I wanted mine to be something like the Underground Railroad Comedy Hour. (laughs) (laughs) Which I was like, that's a great title. And the foundation that I proposed it to was like, we don't even, we're not even going to respond. So somewhere along the way, we realized that we both wanted to do a podcast project yes. and found an amazing producer to work with us on it. Yeah. Um, and can I say, mm-hmm. um, and I will say that amazing producer actually also had the idea <laughs> separate from us <laughs> and kind of approached us about it. And we're going to talk about that. But one thing I want to say is doing the po- like even starting out, it really was experimental, like really experimental. Like we were just like, let's just talk and we'll just talk for like five times and we'll put it out in the world and we'll just see if people like it cuz we know that we like the con- we like to talk to each other like we authentically genuinely enjoy it i really yes. yeah yeah so i'm like you know any chance to be talking to autumn for me i'm going to be like that's value added beneficial it's working better for my life things are clearer now and we're in contact almost every day but the level of conversation we've gotten to be in because of the podcast is much deeper and it has been so thrilling that so many other people agree with us and are yeah. like, yeah, y'all should talk, and we like talking to you. And uh, all of our interviewers, uh, all the people we got interviews with, the first one was was, uh, was with Alexis Pauline Gums and was mind-blowing, God-full conversation, and each one has been so incredible. Um, so I think one thing I just want to ask you mm-hmm. is what's something that you have learned from this podcasting experience? Do I have to just pick one thing? What are up to three things that you have learned from this podcast experience? Okay. Um, True Sagittarian moment. I have learned that I love the sound of my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm just like, I really like listening to myself. My partner, Genjo, who's here in the room, um, he makes fun of me because I'll be like, you know, the night before an episode is supposed to drop, I'll be like, I just have to listen one more time to the episode just in case there's any final edits when Zach has already, like, uploaded the thing. It's, like, not going to change again. Um, so that's one thing that I've learned, which, whatever. We should all love the sound of our own voices. Normalize it. Is, it. Like, it is a, it is healing. It is healing to love the way we sound. Um, and, of course, I've, I would say... It, feeding into another place where I've learned, I feel like um, in the conversations that we've had with each other and through the interviews that we've done, I've also just learned literally new ways of thinking and being. Uh So the conversation that we had with Alexis, the concept, the non-linearity of time, 
concept that she brought into that conversation had completely changed the way I was thinking about actual events that were happening inside my life over the last year, right? And, you know, as someone who all, almost always moves from a place of urgency, um, in spite of the fact that as a facilitator and a political educator, I'm constantly critiquing that shit. Because <laughs> it's wrong. Because it's wrong, um, and it's white supremacy. But, you know, but I'm, but I'm shaped by that, yeah. you know, and I'm good at it, right? Like, yeah. I am a extremely high-functioning person. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. It's not funny. It's true. Um, and, and that feeds, yeah. right? You know, the, like, the way that I am a high-functioning person feeds my ability to not critique moving from urgency inside myself. Mm. Um, and so that, just that conception yeah. um, coming into my life, it was a really important moment in my life to receive it because mm. I'm actively in a process of trying to learn. I'm trying to unlearn so many parts of my socialization, yeah. um, so many ways of being that have served me up to this moment but are no longer serving me. Yes. Um, I have to learn to rest, and I don't know how to rest. But I need to learn, I need, exactly, I need to learn it. And, and, um, and I feel like this, in a way, maybe because of the level of public facingness of this project, yes. it's calling me into a higher level of accountability with myself than, you know, just like being in a room of 20 people that I'm working with because I'm paid to work with them would. That's huge, that's um, great. What's something you've learned from the podcast, my love? Um, well, first of all, I, it's not a learning, but it's just this deep, like, I have so much respect for you. Like, Aww. I think your brain is so awesome. And it's interesting to see how it shaped mine so much. You know, like when I look at my own life, I think because we get taught linearity so much and older, younger and all this, that there's this way that it'd be like, oh, I'm supposed to teach you something. And I just mostly don't feel that. Like I mostly am like, you just teach me everything all the no. time. And um, so I'm just so grateful that I'm like, oh my gosh, I know the smartest person that I, you know, like in the world. And I get to talk to her like in private um, and then in public. <laughs> um, but so I feel like, like you continuously surprise me. I mean, like in the last episode when you talked about how the, the fact that we can't talk about sexual assault properly is because of our pattern as a culture of denying genocide and denying slavery and that we can't talk about what, we re what really has happened to bodies in this country. And so, of course, now we struggle with talking about sexual violence um, and, and that it's all connected. I was like, yeah, like, uh, yes, you know? <laughs> but, like, you just said it so, you know, you have a way of saying stuff in a such a matter-of-fact, clear way. So I feel like I've just learned a lot from uh, the gift of getting to be your sister. I feel like I have learned... Um, that there's always deeper to go. So, you know, I'm like, I think last year I would have described us as great close sisterhood, you know? And um, mm. you know what I mean? Like I'd be like, oh, we're doing fine. Like we have a great relationship. And I just, I'm getting emotional, but I'm just like, this process has like pushed both of us, I feel like, to have to be like, we could do better, you know? I could do better. I could be more present. I could ask better questions. I could make sure that my light is never overshadowing yours, right? Um, I could do better. And that just feels like such a huge gift to me because I'm like, oh, now we get to even have a deeper, better sisterhood. Um, and there's so and I can be less selfish. <laughs> no, there's, you're perfect. <laughs> uh, you're so perfect. <laughs> um, and um, 
Yeah, it's just so precious. And then I think also um, this one is kind of a two-sided thing, but your our lives do align so deeply. So like your healing processes align with my healing processes in so ways real. that freak me out. But also this fame thing, I just want to talk about like it's weird to see, be you know more famous than you were before ever mm-hmm. right and to be alone in that is even weirder but then to be like oh together we're going through this process of you know is it hard for back. you to make your way to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom and get back it's hard for me <laughs> are you having to struggle with that yeah. or whatever it is like to just be like oh it's you know people stop learning no like no one can figure out how to say hi to you anymore or like there's just these weird <laughs> things and it's like awesome right because people are like I can't, I love you, or I love something you've done. I know you really well. And I'm like, yes, I don't know you at all. But I also, I'm ready to love, but I just need to pee right now. Or, you know, whatever it is. But it feels like. I have a very basic need. (laughs) Yeah, but it feels like being able to share that, too, has been really cool. To be like, isn't this weird? Like, Mm -hmm. we can't take it seriously. It's all temporary. But Mm -hmm. it's also like something is. You know, because I think when we were starting the podcast, I definitely was at the school of like, our three friends will listen to this. It's going to be so great. They're think- they'll think we're funny. Yeah. I just never thought. And you and Zach all, all, always knew from the very beginning of like, this might be something big. And I was like, mm, it's going to be like just a fun, great, cool thing. Okay. Yeah. The level of coaching <laughs> that we had to do with you around this was really funny. I know. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's mm. been really, I think, I have felt very responsible for you in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think I have ever gotten to feel before uh-huh. because I'm the younger sister. Uh-huh. But I've gotten to feel like a sense of responsibility for like bearing witness to your process mm-hmm. um, and your grace inside of that and mm-hmm. your, um, your your willingness, your capacity, you're growing your capacity to have really effective boundaries. And I'm witnessing you in that. And I feel like I'm doing everything I can to like also support you in that. Um, And I think that, you know, it's these weird, I mean, these are the weirdest and sometimes hardest things to talk about because it's what we, we don't talk about this stuff. In especially in movements, we're all like, there's a whole cult of personality thing that is happening at all times and everyone's acting like it's not, unless you're throwing shade on the person. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and of course, no one, no one who has more notoriety wants to be like, it's hard. No. You know? So there's a loneliness yeah. inside of it, I think. Then we don't talk about, like, what does it mean in our movement spaces that we yeah. allow that to happen to people? Yeah. And then we allow them to flame out and be abandoned, yes. right? And we have a responsibility to each other. Yeah. And I feel that profound sense of responsibility to you, right? Yeah. That like this project will flame out because yeah. all projects do and that's exactly. good actually. But we don't need to flame out, yeah. right? Well, the thing I wanna say about this, cause when we were first starting the podcast out, I was like, yeah, we're just gonna have authentic conversations. And then I would be the one like before we drop something, I was like, we need to go through every single thing because our movements right now are so vicious that if we misspeak, um, you know, there's a way that like as a writer, I take a lot of risks as a writer. I really try to flow, go against, you know, like if I see a group think happening, I really intentionally am like, maybe the Kanye album is good though, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> is. It's fucking good, okay? Deal with it. But that doesn't mean we don't stay complicated. People are like, I'm leaving. 
Okay, we okay. can talk about this. We okay. will talk about this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about we it in the Q&A. Yeah. But, yes. right? <laughs> but for me, I feel like that's swimming against, like, I take time with my writing. I don't just, I'm not, like, knee-jerk writing. You know, like, I get to take time and be like, I want to make sure that this is... Um, true, because then if there is a backlash, I feel like, oh, I can be responsible for it. The pace of this is very different, right? <laughs> I'll be responsible for that. Backlash. Yeah, I'm like, I, I knew that you were not going to like this idea, and I, I thought about it, and I put it out there. But in the conversation, I'm not necessarily thinking, like, what is someone else going to think about this? I'm just like... In the flow. You know, in the flow, and I want to take risk with the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it has taken several episodes for me to be like, the risk is being authentic in the, in the moment and not, not being able to necessarily edit it or censor it or get it just right for everyone. And we have gotten feedback from people that was like, this thing could have been transphobic. This felt like it didn't include this group. This felt like it, you know, and being like, oh, thank you. Like, right, it's not about being perfect in real time. It's about being honest in real time and then being with our audience in a way in mm. real time. And I feel like you and Zach have really been like, yeah, let's do this, you know? Yeah. But it's also because I'm like, you know, in some ways I said this to you guys earlier, I'm like, but you haven't seen how it gets. Like every time someone comes up and is like, I love you so much, I'm like, for now. Like in my head, I'm like, right now you do, cool, right? It has nothing to do with me, I'm not gonna take it personally. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna let it go to the ground, let it go to emergent strategy, whatever, because it's right now. And like three years from now, I'm gonna be, I'll say something and it'll be like, oh, you're so Chimamanda, right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> I you know. Because I'm just like, it, you know, if, if I get attached to you loving me, I'm not going to be able to do my work well. Yeah. If we get attached to you loving this podcast, we're not going to be able to be honest about it, you know? Like, we can't be attached to your love, right? We can be a present and available for it. I just think there's a distinction there that feels like my biggest lesson from this podcast and, mm. and from this last, you know, couple of years. Oh. So, is it time for our special guest? Yes. All right. So we have talked about this person. I'm going to pull the chair in, in between us. In various ways. And um, this is someone who reached out to me a few years ago and was like, I think we should do like a sci-fi kind of podcast with you and like Sterling Tolls and like magic and like, and then went on and did a podcast of his own called A Pregnant Pause that was one of the most touching, tender things that I've ever listened to in my life. Um, and the baby that resulted from all that podcasting is up there being rocked in the in those arms up there. But we want to invite our incredible, incomparable producer, Zach Rosen, to the stage. Come on over, Rover. I'm going to just record with the mic better here. Oh, you're going to come okay. over here. Okay, okay. You right. know where you need to be. This okay. All right. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, yes, you, you. So, Zach, welcome. We love you so much. Love you. Oh, my God. This has been you such make everything a so dream. great. It's so easy with you. Um, so the first thing that we wanted to ask you about, if you're willing to talk about it, is if you could just talk about your, like, a brief, like, your history with radio, with podcasting, and, like, give us a little bit of a sense of the trajectory that came to this point. Sure. Um, I'm going to talk into two mics here. Um, double fisted. Double fisted. Um, <laughs> something we talk about a lot. All the time. Yeah. 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 All the time. Um, <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, Adrian does. Uh, you talk all the time. I was in college and had no idea what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Really <laughs> didn't have any clue and didn't think I was smart enough or qualified to do um, much. Um, and I heard a radio story 
um, called The Lord God Bird in like 2005, which you all should look up. Um, and I had heard radio documentary before, but it hadn't ever kind of um, entered me the way that story did. Um, and the moment I heard that story, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so that led to an internship at Detroit Public Radio. That was in 2006. Um, and then in 2007, I want to say it was this room. It probably wasn't, but let's just say it was <laughs> let's in say this room. Let's say it was here. It was. It was. In this room. So much history in this room. Yeah. In 2007, um, I heard Grace Boggs uh, give a talk. Um, it was February of 2007. Yes. I hadn't heard of her, about her. I didn't really know much about Detroit. I grew up in the northern suburbs. Um, and again, like that Lord God Bird story before it, Grace's talk changed my life. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And what that was was being around her voice um, and kind of trying to think about how... Okay, so that's my birthday twin, Zynga. Hi, birthday Zynga, twin birthday twin, little Virgo. You good, you good. Mm. It's hard out here for a Virgo. <laughs> is it? Is it? Ah! it is. See how shady people are to Virgos? Oh, a Virgo rising. It's oh, not okay. the same. It's not the same. Y'all don't even know. It's okay. Right now, we're just going to bring it on back to Zach. But we are going to have Key we're on the have show in a future episode, obviously. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me speed this up. Um, <laughs> You're so doing great. Oh, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I met Grace and um, started going to meetings at the Bog Center and yeah. was just started to think about how storytelling and the Bog School and um, Reimagining mm. Detroit could exist. Like, mm -hmm. what does it sound like on the radio um, mm -hmm. to reimagine Detroit? And uh, I found myself interviewing Grace um, dozens and dozens of times. I got to, to live at the Bog Center. Um, and through mm -hmm. Grace, I met people like Sterling Tolls and Julia Putnam and Adrienne Marie Brown. And those people in particular, I found myself wanting to go back and interview and interview and interview again and again and again. Um, and so that was, you know, the main reason why I was thinking, um, you know, now 10 years after having started in public radio, everyone's making podcasts. I'm, I'm in the privileged position of uh, ha figuring out how to make a living from radio and podcasting. So yeah. I reached out to Adrienne because she's one of those people whose voices I could just listen to over and over and... I like making stories that I want to hear, um, and so I reached out to Adrian, and that was yeah. we, we recorded our first episode at AMC last year. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Like literally a year ago today. Today in Zach's house um, with a pregnancy in it. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, so the other question I want to ask you, we wanted to ask you, you told a little bit about the journey to this podcast. What has been your journey since the podcast began? And, and maybe what's a lesson or two that you've learned um, from this process? I like making I like making work where like you can hear the editing and it's really sound rich and like you can hear that like a, a talented producer made it. <laughs> but then that's but then Adrian and Autumn just talk and I like edit out literally I edit out like two burps and then <laughs> they're my burps they're, they're mine burps. 
I and like that's burp. it's my burps. Yes. I can't. I something about talking makes me burp. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> only on the podcast. I mean, I, I burped a lot during the Star Wars episode. Yeah, you, you, she does other sounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I realized, like, talking about being honest on tape, which yes. Adrian was talking about, like, I don't need to to infiltrate the and come in and like save the story with editing with uh-huh. you two. It's just like I just want to do whatever I can to edit a, as little as I can uh-huh. and generate story ideas with you occasionally. But I'm just kind of staying out of the way. Mm. Um, and just I'm just kind of support support crew. Mm. <laughs> what about all the music and the <laughs> referencing? You know, little, like... I, I do I do little things. But you, you've heard the show. It's Adrian and Autumn, you know, <laughs> engaging in real time. Um, and so what have I learned? That uh, mm-hmm. honest emotional conversation resonates. Um, and there's also, you all know StoryCorps? Yes. You know, StoryCorps is like this really cool thing. It's um, this um, oral history project that largely gets people that know each other together to talk intimately for an hour. And then um, NPR takes like a two minute edited version of that and, and, and runs it. Um, and I love those because it's it's people that know each other kind of getting to know each other better or getting to know each other like in a kind of really deeper way for the first time in many cases. So I feel like what's cool about our show um, is that it takes that story core model. It's like these two family members talking, but then they're adding just like a shit ton of brilliant analysis on top of that. And it's this thing where I'm not sure if I'm sure other show, uh, definitely other shows are doing it, but this um, this marriage of like family and like um, shorthand references to like your parents or your childhoods plus like movement for black lives at the same time like I love that stuff intersecting and mm-hmm. just like um, you know being in the same place yeah. you know like social justice and burping exist in the same, same hour so I don't edit out all the burps yeah <laughs> thank you for that leaving a little bit of me you gotta in keep there. it real and I do um, thank you so much for that. And I just want us to thank you publicly because I, I hear the downplaying of your role. And um, we're all media makers here, right? So you know, like, we've all heard stuff that didn't take the time that he takes, right? Um, and he's gentle with us. He does allow us our full voice. And I think, like, we have amazing musicians, Diana Nucera, Tunde Alanaran, like that are woven into the sessions just right when there needs to be a reference of like, oh, Grace's actual voice should be heard here. You're going to hear it here. And you just take time with us to make sure that we don't sound foolish. And often if we do come back and we're like, oh, this line sounds whack or whatever, like you make the adjustments with us. And we are grateful for it. Yeah. Um, we love you so much. Love you. you love Zach. Love you. You love Zach too. <laughs> All right. So we wanted to. So the podcast is called "How to Survive the End of the World," and when we initially were thinking about it, I think even both of us thought it was going to be a little bit more oriented around survival skills, like hardcore survival skills. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're going to talk about surviving apocalypse. And then what has come out is like, oh, apocalypse, talking about apocalypse means talking about how we write and how we're in our bodies and how we are with each other and relationship and love and it's all these other things. Um, and so for us, it feels like, oh, we're really broadening out how we understand the skill set of a surviving apocalypse and a lot of the ways that comes from interacting with us and understanding, like, oh, we're all surviving apocalypse regularly. We're in apocalypse right now, and we are of lineages that have survived apocalypse. 
Like that's how we are here. We are the, the lineage of that. And so we wanted to turn it to you all um, to get to share with each other. Like we really believe that each of you has some of the tools, some of the skills, some of the processes that we all need to survive apocalypse. So um, we wanted you to turn to maybe like two or three other people. Does that feel good? Have a quick conversation about um, a survival skill that you have and that you could teach to someone else. You don't have to teach it, but you orient to the survival skill that you have that you could teach to someone else. Okay? I feel like I'm Dominican. I lived in DR until I was 17. And out there, like, the experiences that I've had, like, I've literally lived without running tap water sometimes. I've lived without electricity and stuff. So those are, like, all literal, tangible skills that I, like, have already and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, if you're rolling with me, we good. Like, I got Like, I feel like we're all pretty good at, like, being able to, like, hold our emotions, like, when we need to do something. Like, being able to, like, put our, like, feelings on pause for a second if, like, a task needs to be executed. My gift is being a Pisces and um, that like the ability to dream, to escape, to daydream, like I see all those things as like really real skills, especially like in impossible times. Mine is time banking. Um, so I'm the founder of Cowrie Collective in St. Louis. It's a time bank. So basically, um, I'm good at photography, so I can give you a one-hour lesson in photography, and then I earn one time credit. In our time bank, we earn one calorie because of the way the calorie shells were used throughout the world as currency. Then I can use my one calorie to get one-hour service from you or you or anybody else in the time bank. So where you You're going to need braids to get through the apocalypse. Like, we don't want our shit all matted up, so I think I could probably figure out how to, like, come up with, like, natural hair care situations and protective styling for the apocalypse. I've worked really hard to reject shame and I feel like that's a survival skill because I could easily have been killed by shame. So I, I, I feel like that's that's been a real survival skill. Uh, I bike year round and e even through, I guess like, well it sounds like pain but it's just, it's also joy, kind of like the power of your own mobility. And. One of the things I think is awesome is that like in a zombie apocalypse situation, a bike is like the most useful form of transportation because zombies move slowly. Except in World War Z. That's right, in World War Z they're like climbing and also, each other. And also uh, a recommendation, if you haven't seen Train to Busan, it is so good. I'm getting scared right now, but it's really, it's like being on one train with a bunch of fast zombies. No. I mean, no one wants to do that. But one, so one thing we wanted to share is we also decided to have the conversation up here um, about like trigger warning are. zombies. Sorry, <laughs> it's apocalypse. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's one of the many apocalypses that we're going to experience. I feel like we can I say I feel like we already live in a zombie. I feel like we already live. I mean, like okay. I, I think that we live, like maybe it's telephone zombie land or something, but like I feel like we walk around a lot of times with people like not accessible, not really aware, not really present in any kind of way, not responding in a way that says, oh, your humanity matters to me and I won't eat you. Like I'm like, you're gonna try to eat me, like and not in the way that I like. And I don't know about that, you know? Can I say something about this? So, um, <laughs> and as, you take a cue as Adrian knows, I do a lot, a lot of my um, 
work is around white supremacy and deeply understanding whiteness and how whiteness works, how whiteness roots in. Yeah. And one of the um, one of the things that I've been really working with lately is like the numbness of whiteness and the masks that folks of color often have to don and like act through in order to maintain the state of numbness yeah. so that everyone can actually navigate it. Yes. And what does it look like for white people to like awaken mm. and for people of color to be able to just like stop donning the mask? Um, so yeah, yeah, when I think of the zombie state, yeah. that's the that's the one that I'm constantly thinking about. What's your apocalypse skill though? Oh yeah, my, so okay, I was I'm, one you haven't already talked about. Well, yeah, okay. Um, well, wait, can I talk about the one we just talked yeah, about? That's yeah, good. so <laughs> I'm actively learning. Yes. Uh, a few years ago, my partner gave me a longbow, and I am actively learning how to shoot it. Um, and yes, and then um, my middle child, Siobhan, got really into the idea of this. And so she just turned eight, so we gave her a bow and a set of arrows. And I started like posting pictures of her on Instagram with this hashtag, like, arm your daughters. <laughs> and, but then I was like, oh, for real? No, really? Like, yeah, I'm arming myself, and I'm arming her, and... I feel like actually learning to, like just the physical activity of it has shifted the way I hold my body and I feel like very much in my agency now that I've started actively learning to use it in a way that I hadn't really felt before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it would be a whole other thread to talk about like arming ourselves as like a healing practice. That, I mean, it feels like a controversial thing to say out loud. <laughs> I'm glad you went there. But that's where we go. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I, I'm really glad to hear you say it. And it's one of those things where I'm like, um, I remember being like in my early 20s and just being like, you know, I don't know if I'm a pacifist, but I was doing, I'm like, it's all about nonviolence and turn the other cheek and like, I just had a different, you know, I was like, there's no way that violence can ever beget anything but more violence. And then when you started having kids in the middle of Trump territory in Minnesota, I was like, mm, I do want them to, <laughs> not a gun necessarily, but I want to know that they can protect themselves in some way. And I think that I would love for us to do an episode just on what are modes of protection that are aligned with our values. Uh, because I think that the, we just are like, well, it either has to be this, it has to be a gun or not, nothing. And then we see what just happened with Sawatu where it's like, she had an, uh, an empty, unloaded gun, and she's serving with time. With a permit to fucking With a permit carry to carry it. it, and her child and her mother at her back being threatened, and she's in prison for that. And, of course, we know the system doesn't work, but it's not even that. I'm like, in that situation, she was not protected, right? The yes. gun that she held yes. was not able to protect her yes. on many levels in that moment. Yes. And so I just keep thinking about that. So my apocalypse skill that I talked about up here, uh, I mentioned two things. One is I'm very early in the process of learning to um, keep plants alive. And I've had some plants alive since the beginning of this year. And what I'm learning from them is that they communicate very, very, very early. Okay. Um, but after many, many years of not being able to keep one plant alive, I have 16 plants that are alive in my house right now. And They're very happy. the herbs are going to make it, right? Probably. 
they're going to make it. So, um, so that's one thing. And then recognizing that they're communicating to me all the time. And I'm starting to pick up on how toxicity that impacts them also impacts me. So like living in Detroit in the summer where there is an incinerator, um, my plants are impacted by it. And they're like less, lu less lustery and they just are kind of droopy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's because the windows are open and now all this stuff is coming in the house. Um, Ugh, you know, like, what do I need to do? What do my plants need? The other one is what's happening inside of me. Exactly. Right. And um, and like, I'm like, oh, and how do I detox them and myself um, and still get to live in Detroit? And then the other one for me was masterful dissociation. I really feel like dissociation is like something that I used to just feel like was a real weakness of mine that I have learned is maybe the, the it's definitely the reason I'm still alive today and made it through times that, that felt unbearable. And now I feel like it's I am able to do it by choice. Like I'm able to say like, this is too hard, this is overwhelming, and I need to go binge on Steven Universe ice cream and some weed, and that's what I need to do right now. Or I just need to stare at the wall for a little bit and let my mind do something else. Um, and, and, and I don't judge myself. Like when I do find that I floated away, um, and, like I used to just get very like, you idiot, like why'd you waste all that time? That's your miraculous time and you wasted it. And now I'm just like, oh, good, you gave yourself a break. It's like, oh, my miraculous brain. My miraculous brain. My, I knew that I needed some time and I needed some quiet and I took it and I gifted that to myself and like now I'm, I'm going to be able to be present. Um, and I was telling Autumn that boundaries have been the thing that has helped me not dissociate to people's face. Because what I used to do is like, I'd be talking to you, but I'm like, I'm talking to you. Right? And I was, it was because I didn't know how to set a boundary of just like, <laughs> I didn't know how to say, I don't, I'm not here right now, I can't do it right now. And actually last AMC was really overwhelming for me because it was emergency strategy had just come out and like every two seconds or so someone was coming up and wanting a really meaningful, intense presence from me. And I'm like, I gotta give it. Because I wrote this thing and I really want to give it to you. And I was like, I don't want to dissociate your face. So I was just hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, I need to dissociate somewhere. Um, and so this, now I feel like I've done a little bit better of like just being like, oh, hey, I'm good. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we are going to do some Q&A now. Hello. 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 Hi. Um, so yeah, I'm wondering, um, both of you have talked about like having experiences of just like being magic and like feeling magic like flow through you. Um, and I'm super interested in like, as folks who feel really in contact with that um, and really open to it, does it ever get overwhelming? And do you ever have practices for like turning it down a little bit? Maybe dissociating would be one of those. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I'm like, mm, is it time for a story? Yes, story time. <laughs> I had, so one of the, the particular ways that my magic works that I've been working with is um, um, ancestors channeling through me. And I had a very, I know I'm like, I don't know if this is, yeah. So I had a really intense experience a few years ago of, you know, I had finished a yoga practice in my home and was like in Shavasana and just had a ancestral experience channel through me that was like being in the hull of a slave ship and giving birth. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And I'm not even gonna go into all the detail of like why, I mean, I don't even have to necessarily go into the detail as to why or what would be terrifying about that context. And I remember sitting up back into my home and, 
and really profoundly wondering, like, what the fuck just happened to me, right? Um, and it it's taken me, it's really taken me, like, probably a year and a half to actually process through that experience or integrate it enough to understand what is it in me or what is it in my particular set of life experiences that made it possible for that that one to come through? Because they're always trying to come through, you know? Um, but there's a, there is sort of a weird fatedness to like what is the particular position and moment, mm -hmm. literally physical position, mm -hmm. <laughs> and moment in life that <laughs> you might need to be in. Y'all are so hilarious. Um, your, your laugh is the best laugh on the radio. Oh, I said it. It's said. It. It's the best laugh. It again. You have the best um, laugh. <laughs> um, I, I love your laugh. I'm going to write a note about um, it. Yeah, so, yeah, so definitely I think there's terror inside of it, um, or there can be. Yeah. And at the same – but for me, I think that there is a piece where it's like I also, you know – I, you know, it, it's a boundary practice about understanding that, that that experience is flowing through me and it's also not mine. So it's a gift that I received it. I didn't have to live through that. I've lived through my own crazy fucking bullshit, but I didn't have to live through that or die in that, right? So it's a gift if, my, if any ancestor is trying to let me know. And if I can hold the boundary of here's this, like, skin bag. <laughs> You beautiful skin, skin bag. bag. Um, yeah, this is my skin bag, and I have my set of experiences. I'm very, and I'm very lucky and gifted. If if any magic is gonna flow through me, that's been the thing that's helped me the most. Um, yeah, I would say for me that the times when I have felt overwhelmed by magic um, have often been when I like kind of cast a spell without really intentionally casting a spell and then it came to pass and then I was like oops, oops. <laughs> dang so didn't need um, to ask for it like that yeah and, it, and it'll be stuff like oh I don't really feel like hanging out right now and then like someone's car would break down on the way to see me you, that kind of thing where I was like that, you know, those kind of things. And then it would happen so often that I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm manifesting a lot. So I think starting to, that's part of why I've gotten so into spells and like the power of words. And, and that's part of why I tell people, I'm like, you know, on social media, on all these places, like we're always casting spells. And so don't be throwing shade or canceling people or calling people down or cursing people out or fuck that person or all this stuff. I'm like, that matters and it accumulates spiritually onto their karma and, and yours. yours. And it's just better to like not do that. So um, my biggest thing for m handling magic responsibly is recognizing you have magic capacity, that we all have it. and to be and that whatever yours is like mine is definitely words and yours might be something else um, but once you learn it don't don't just throw it around like a want you know it's like you know it's like it's very irresponsible Oof. Yes. I think we could talk about it a little bit <laughs> teaser like two or three sentences I've experienced an enormous amount of pleasure in the work of parenting. Um, and it is a sensual pleasure. Yeah. Um, it's not erotic, but it is very sensual and life-giving. 
And it's fucking hard work, and it's mm-hmm. like a lot of hard physical labor all the time. Yeah. Um, and yet, exactly, <laughs> like this is like a pleasure act that's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, um, my people. amazing comrade Manju Rajendran is in the room with her daughter Azadi, who is sleeping against her chest, um, and probably just finished a meal at her breast. Um, and just for me, the act of breastfeeding itself was always just so incredibly pleasurable. Like, I loved breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. And I bring that up in context of surviving the apocalypse because um, parenting in a way that, like, produces a secure attachment is absolutely a survival skill, right? Um, and also, becoming a parent is one of the things that, like, can create an apocalypse in our lives. <laughs> It's real. So, or many, or many, Um, you know, because it, you know, it does require you to fundamentally change so much about your life. But for me, more importantly, it required me to um, work with my wounds. You know, like no one shows you what your wounds are like your own fucking kid Mm -hmm. who's like, I see you. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. That's, I mean, that's amazing. And I think there's something about it that's like, uh, for me, I think of it as we only survive because we want to survive. There's something we want to survive for. Mm. Like, I don't think we're going to survive if it's just like, do you, don't you want to just keep, like, struggling through horrible, like, just fucking bullshit-ass life? No, no, you know, um, and you know, I was actually saying this. Um, we were talking about this because last week, um, when Anthony Bourdain um, su- committed suicide, completed suicide, completed suicide, completed suicide, um, that I've always I've gone through suicidal ideation in the past, and we're we're gonna do a show about it. Um, but I always understand it as a choice. It always makes so much sense to me. I'm like, this world is really hard. It's really fucking hard. And um, so to not be committing suicide, to not be completing suicide on a daily basis, to me feels like there's some pleasure, right? That there's some pleasure that we're all tapping into on a daily basis that kind of keeps us here. And it might be the pleasure of connection or the pleasure of cooking or great food, the pleasure of dreaming, the pleasure of like, I'm going to get better. Um, something's going to be better in my life, which for many of us is the compelling thing. Or like, now isn't good enough, but like something will be good enough and I'll stay for that. Um, and I, I think that the flip side of that is we can miss a lot of our lives um, while waiting for some future pleasure. So to me, one of the radical acts, especially for oppressed people, is to how do I experience the pleasure now, right now, right now of my body? And for me, it's been so radical to be like, I'm fat, and I was like, I'm going to take a diet, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I'm like, I'm not. Um, and that relates to the question, the, the last question, that um, carrying the burdens of our communities and when we can't. Oh, yeah. Like, so, because this is my, I, I feel like as a fat, black, queer woman who wears glasses, or I'm wearing my contacts now, but this new, is a brand new, brand new, new experience. Brand new contacts. Brand new contacts. This is the first time in my, I'm about to turn 40, and I was told when I was nine that I was going to be blind by the time I was 18, and so I had that orientation that it was like, and that I had, like, whatever was going on with my eyes was too bad for contacts. And so I just never, like, double-checked it <laughs> with another doctor because I was nine. So... <laughs> Uh, I never double-checked it. I never double-checked it. So recently I was with another optometrist. You're like, your eyesight's barely bad. 
Um, and which is why I just spent a year not wearing anything because after the election, I was just like, I am good. I don't need to see anything <laughs> at all. This is fine. What I can see and feel right here, this is great. And it was one of those ways in which I was like, this disability helps me the fuck out. I like not being able to see any more than this. This is great for me. And anyway, but so I want to say that inside of all that context, to me, pleasure is one of the things that keeps me going. And like when I think about this, like carrying burdens of our communities, we're expected to do it all the time. Like if you are a black person, you politicize. If you are a white man and you're like, oh, I politicize, whatever it is, you're like, now I've got to carry all of the load. Because there's still like, we're like 2% of all the humans that are alive on the planet. You know, like we're a small percentage supposed to carry all of the future of justice, right? And try to keep bringing more people along. And I'll say the very first thing when I was, I did identify as an organizer back in the day. Now I'm like, I respect organizers too much to do that. I facilitate, y'all do that shit. But I would say this, that we always show up to people busted as fuck. And then we're like, come join our movement. Um, like, please, like, we are, you know, we turn on each other, we talk shit about each other, we are underpaid, overworked, we don't have health insurance, we don't have retirement funds, you can't afford to have a child. Where we can sign you up right now. <laughs> you could be an executive director in two years. Yeah. Okay. That's the shit. All right. So I'm just like, right? Who wants to do that? So for me, pleasure Apparently is also. All of us. What's wrong with us, y'all? Okay. But I will say this: for me, pleasure has been the antidote to that. That I'm like. When I actually think about a future I want to inhabit, it doesn't look like any of the movements I was socialized into. It looks like the movements that we are starting now, where we do talk about sex and drugs and pleasure and relationships and parenting and, and friendships and polyqueer and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I am defying all of the odds every time I have an orgasm. Yeah. Oh, yes. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with this body, not picking your fucking cotton. I'm supposed to be picking my shit. It's supposed to be feeling great, you know? That's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, I can't even heal you. <laughs> okay, but wait, can I just say one more thing? Yeah, no, go ahead. So, because I think this also ties to the viciousness question, right? Of like, why, is our, why are our movements so vicious? And I will say my take on it right now, and it all ties together because everything is one, it's one big thought. But Thought. Thought. You know, okay. I'm so excited because I'm not, anyway. <laughs> it's too good. I love talking with you and on all of you. Um, so I think the reason we are so vicious with each other is the same reason we get so vicious with ourselves, right? Is that that feeling of like, I'm an imposter. I don't belong here. Like, I don't feel safe in this space. Um, I'm not good enough to be a part of it. And all of us walk with that. I walk with that still. Right? It's not like I'm like, oh, now everyone said they love me, so I guess I'm not. It's like worse, right? It's I'm like, shit, I don't really know science, you guys. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking, like, you're just, great. I didn't even know butterflies did that. Whatever. Like, I regularly, on a, ba on a regular basis, I'm like, I don't know that. And, um, and I think that viciousness, we turn it on ourselves. So how many of you have had that, you have that voice in your head? It may be your mom's voice, it may be a dad's voice, it may be a teacher's voice, it may be a media voice, but something that got planted early that ties in with your inner dark side, your inner, right? That's just sort of like, you don't deserve to exist. Fundamentally, you don't deserve to exist. And that self-apocalyptic uh, 
thread. Mm -hmm. And so then I think the viciousness in movements is similar to that. It's like we are trying to do something. We think we're so great. And then that, oh, you're not that real. You're really, you don't belong, right? Yeah. And like that we only know how to define ourselves against rather than with. So we're like, I know how to define myself because I'm more radical than you are. Um, because I'm more feminist than you are. I'm blacker than you are. I'm this than you are. I never, ever use the wrong pronouns with anyone, ever. And you do. I'm unscented. I only smell like body odor. I'm this. I'm that. Okay? So I just want to say that, right? That we like, we get, we think that we're better than those who are othering. But we are othering all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's our show. Um, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you so much for being with us for our first ever live show. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. We'd like to extend a special thank you to the Healing Justice podcast team who supported the recording of the live show. Shoutouts to Kate Werning, J.D. Davids, Park Palantine, Mira Al-Rahim, and Rachel Ishikawa. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash endoftheworldshow. And if you become a patron before the end of June, you will get an extra special gift that we are sending out to all of our patrons. It's called the Apocalypse Potion, and it was wildcrafted by the revolutionary herbalist witch amazing being, Dory Midnight. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thanks. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable Zach Rosen, whose voice you heard on the show today. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Laniran and Mother Cyborg. Never fit in a new dread he was given to leave a singular vision Could never be avaricious Instead of quiet ambitious No reason left to resist it I hated this competition So I'm not quitting they stay Sweating try to dictate it like they not Living tea all been about that truth Spilling all back like a deer when shot Get a no wrong you to run this path that you're on We all gotta make our own living Cry our lives on state Hit it, it feels so good Ready Now maybe there's a lesson I've been given No some lesson from the stories that I need to tell and everybody's hoping and scraping and wishing they could be something outside themselves. If I can be me, then you can be yourself.